0: I, I'm kind of a, a,
1: a natural edge lord. <laughs> what we want is to have people, curious people, to come up and have a curious
2: experience. Showed sure, all levels, all so members: childrens, art, seniors, professional artists, emerging, submerging. Yeah.
3: When people are are hearing it, it's kind of maybe a little more amorphous as to what exactly is going on.
1: The uh, inherited like a big empty space filled with possibility. It's the empty emptiness of the container, which is what makes it useful.
2: Well, that was the kind of hook. Uh, it was we were programming art without calling it art.
4: We do not have the necessary permits to build this space. We do not have a business license to run this space. It's not a business.
1: The previous landlord had a big concern about us running like a speakeasy up here, or like a club, which was a valid concern.
5: I think we're living different worlds than the rest of our neighbors.
1: They'll do it wherever they
4: have to. Houses, basements, under bridges.
3: Um, and so maybe it's that sort of, uh, the constraint of it and the, lim- the limitation of it not happening all the time, that it's kind of like, it's a special, more of a special occasion.
6: You're listening to All Access on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Broadcasting from the territories of the Lekwungen and sinchothan speaking peoples, and the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Hossanich peoples whose historical relationships with the land continue to this day.
7: So, should we introduce ourselves?
8: Yeah, I guess maybe we can, I think it might be kind of cool to like introduce ourselves as who we are. Um, Listen, I'm
7: not even wearing headphones, like is it my first day? (laughs) Okay. How's that? Pretty good? (laughs) (laughs) Um... We're both, I think. Okay, so my name is Mary, and I'm the Spoken Word Coordinator and the Executive Producer of this and all the podcasts on CFUV. Mm-hmm. And my name is Nicola Watts, and I am the producer of the All Access Program on CFUV. So this episode, um, my, my sense of it from the, the all the tape you guys got and everybody that you talked to... Um, was that there are these smaller venues uh, in town in Victoria that have these more obscure, um, kind of less mainstream shows. Um, but those venues are important because they create a space for different kinds of artists who might be underrepresented in other places. Um, but also I think it's important to know the backstory of of those places and what, and what drives them because going to those venues can be intimidating or... Or awkward and maybe knowing their story and and what they're about makes it less intimidating you do you know what I mean yeah
8: absolutely and I think the like opportunity to go and attend a show that's gonna be really cool and interesting to you can sometimes be like it might be a deterrent knowing that you're gonna show up and it might not be so comfortable or welcoming for you right away um, and I think a lot of people who wouldn't go to a show on their own also wouldn't go to a new space For the same reason of lacking that comfort and that familiarity that you can get when you maybe go to something mainstream Mm -hmm. yeah and i think the one thing that you can really pick up from all of the people who we spoke to is that what brought them to creating this space was they had uh the desire to have that feeling of belonging and creating a space where people would feel welcome and excited to just enjoy whatever type of music or type of activity that they're really into and they wanted to share that And listening to them is very encouraging to just also go and join them in exactly what they're doing.
7: Yeah, I mean music facilitates belonging. Like, people go to shows that they like because they have a sense of belonging there. Like, if you like punk music and then you're around with a bunch of people who are, like, getting the same thing out of it that you are, like, that's community building and that's special. You know, I don't know, maybe it doesn't feel that way to everyone, but for me, like, it takes a certain amount of bravery to really, like, go into something that's, like, an established scene. Yeah, and I think that's a big question is, like,
8: the one cool thing about music and, like, events in general is when you show up, you can actually... Um, you can just show up. It's not like trying to break into a friend group or, you know, some other social scene. You're actually allowed to just go to a place to see a show. And that's something really unique because you can have this opportunity to meet people if you choose to go and do that. Um, But getting that comfort, having that bravery to just go and attend this thing uh, is something that takes a lot for a lot of people. And maybe hearing from the creators of these spaces and knowing that, Everyone started there, and that's how these scenes form, is just a bunch of people choosing to do that all together. It's kind of exciting.
6: It's a pretty common experience to go to a small show and feel a little out of place. But some of Victoria's small venues and art spaces were born out of this exact feeling. Their values and interests didn't align with the more commercial venues in town, so they built what they wanted to see in the scene themselves. This episode will take us into Victoria's Underground from unlicensed spaces to completely legit, into the houses, basements, and big open windows that are home to Victoria's thriving music and art scene. First, we'll talk with the people behind the Ministry of Casual Living.
2: Hello, I'm David Gifford.
9: And I'm Doug Jarvis. And we're here at 858 Devonshire Road in the Esquimalt Industrial Park at the Ministry of Casual Living's a studio building, which also houses about 17, 16, 17 studio spaces and the tool library, and also a small studio gallery that we have been programming uh, a couple things a month uh, for the last few months. David
6: was in grad school at UVic taking sculpture during the early 2000s and needed a place to live amidst a housing shortage. He moved from place to place until he finally found somewhere to live
2: but then we uh, found a storefront that we uh, turned into a gallery and wanted to you know, take the exhibition of arts into our own hands and be autonomous and a little bit of a think tank for the visual arts. And uh, we showed weekly programming and it, it went on for years. Uh, we kept passing on the directorship to the next person who would live in the gallery and pay the rent. The original
6: location had a 10-year run, and they held lots of different kinds of events.
2: Here's
9: Doug. With When you think of that, like weekly, bi-weekly events, and all kinds of different music events inside. Uh, we had film screenings, like dr- bicycle drive-up theater uh, during the summers. Uh, Dave, you got married in the space. I did get married With your reception in the back there. and It was like watching TV through the front window for Dave's... Uh, a ceremony? Still married. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that small space functioned in quite a few different ways. And yeah, David built a movable wall in there that kind of allowed the, the front kind of five-by-five five glass window to be used as a display window. But then you could move this wall back and create a bit more of a gallery space so you could have people come in. And then the person who lived in there, the, the minister, was able to store their belongings in the back like a bit of an office. So yeah, it was quite a versatile space.
2: And if you remember the space, it was never really opened, except for the art openings. So that built on the mystique, but the work was always available. Yeah, through the display window.
6: Because the ministry changed hands so often and functioned as a home for the different ministers, the space grew and changed with each new tenant.
9: But the challenge for people who kind of lived in the space, and there's quite a few, I'd say there's at least 10... Or so different, uh, you know, artists, curators who would live in the space and program it. But each of them treated it, also, d- you know, in their own way. Like I remember Aubrey was able to build, you know, kind of a kitchen in there, and you know, he went on to build similar structures on the backs of trucks, driving them around. Or Emily uh, Gooden, you know, living there, and her sister Bonnie, another time. And like each person who kind of was operating the place brought a different kind of. well Different tone or personality. I yeah, different personality and had different connections. Doug and David embraced
6: the different styles of every person who directed the space and hoped the space would foster a sense of
9: community. You know, the events being coordinated, you know, that helped build up a community around, you know, through the visual arts community and not just the university. I think to me that was an important part that it wasn't just a, an extension of the university. On its own, but it really kind of allowed artists in the city, you know, from all different kind of uh, streams, to to kind of have a place to show and to hang out. So kind of building community uh, through that.
2: Oh yeah, we showed all levels. So there was children's art, seniors, professional artists, emerging, submerging. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. And it was kind of a hands-off curation as well. Uh, it was, I guess the model is uh, to demonstrate how little you had to do to program the art and make it work. So it was pretty bare bones, but it's, it seemed to work. The original location
6: on Haltane had one very important feature that helped make it more accessible to audiences and artists.
9: Yeah, the, it, the way it was set up to be a display window, kind of accessible to everybody walking by. So it wasn't just that you could come in and propose a show you know, you didn't have to have an art degree or anything like that. It was like if you had an idea or something that you'd been making and you wanted to display, uh, you could talk to the minister and they would help coordinate that. So it was accessible to artists, but also because it was on a, you know, Haltane and kind of in a very public space. It's across from coffee, which is, came quite a few years later. Uh, but it was open all the time. Like, you could walk by. So it was open to audiences 24 hours a day. And different artists kind of took advantage of that, you know, doing stuff that could be visible all the time.
2: And uh, it was accessible to people who otherwise might not have gone to a gallery. So the work was kind of interventionalist.
6: Yeah, yeah. The nature of the space existing on a street corner created an opportunity for community members to experience art as they went through their usual day, which meant it could be intentional or unintentional. Here's David.
2: Well, that was the kind of hook. Uh, it was We were programming art without calling it art, so it let people uh, read the work on their own terms, and I felt that was really real. People would say real things about it. So as far as a, a curatorial um, kind of starting point, uh, it was really informative, just uh, from the point of view of an eavesdropper, listening to what people actually said about the work. It's pretty far out,
9: like you could hear from inside what people were commenting outside. <laughs> oh, yeah, through the window, yeah, so you'd get kind of that candid, yeah, perspective. But I, I remember being in the space for some of the the music shows, and I guess what I was always amazed at is that you can take any size space really, and you put people in there playing something live, and it's just you know, it's, the, it's an amazing dynamic, uh, just crammed in there. I think I remember. Uh, Emily Gooden and the Pickles, they're like the punk band, played like one minute long songs. Kind of. uh, but yeah, I remember seeing them there and just the energy and I don't know, but it was like in a small box, which would vibrate out into the street a little bit. But again, I think it was, it was all appreciated because it was activity. It was people doing things and, you know, they weren't like throwing beer bottles across the street or anything. It wasn't it wasn't
2: that kind of thing.
6: The space didn't have a lot of funds to support it, but a lot of work went into maintaining it.
2: Yeah, and it should be said that there was no money. Like it was all run through people paying rent to live and then program the space concurrently. And we didn't charge artist fees or anything like that. Uh, we threw a few parties, but um, we ran on a very, uh, it was pretty skin flint budget.
9: Yeah. I remember a lot of our meetings, kind of our, board meetings were talking about fundraising and coming up with interesting fundraising ideas which yeah. often worked you know we had one was a draw thon you know things that would kind of be interesting for artists to come and hang out and uh, for other people to help support you know whether it was buying art from people or just donating or you know doing other things
2: but it was always a scramble yeah and i noticed in my kitchen yesterday that i had an air plant and it died <laughs> so these things, they just uh, don't run on nothing. It takes a lot of uh, work to keep it going.
9: But
6: all this work does
9: serve a greater purpose. Uh, but we need, in the broader spectrum, we need these places to exist or else, you know, you can't grow the local arts communities, right? You can't grow your your practices in the same way.
6: The Ministry of Casual Living has since moved locations to its current spot in the Esquimalt Industrial Park. Noise complaints from neighbors force them out of the space on Haltane. The new place continues to create space for experimental artists of all kinds, but presents a new set of challenges.
9: Again, it's a smaller space, which to me is a challenge, right? It's not, It's not. the challenge isn't how do you get a bunch of speakers in here and play as loud as you can. The challenge is how do you work with the space that's here and you know make something with that, right? That's, to me, that's kind of what I think is the opportunity uh, it's not just to say, oh we're, we're another venue that will you know put a gig on your on your tour, uh, but it's kind of, again, it's a space to kind of push back a little bit on the artist to say, well, here's an opportunity to, to push yourself a bit or to figure out something new or to, yeah, to work with with this or to try something that you, you wouldn't try in, another, in a, one of these other venues you know and that's to me,
2: that's the appeal
9: that, that I want out there.
2: I just stumbled on this quote from Mick Jagger talking about performance and he was, I'm paraphrasing here, but he went on towards the idea that it has to go on the edge of total madness or it doesn't succeed at all. So if anything, I think we offer that type of venue. The
6: ministry aims to create an artist-run space. They want to create a place for unresolved ideas, experimental and in-process concepts because Doug and David see value in that.
9: And it's hard because, you know, People making their music or making their sound art, you know, there's ideas of well, what kind, what, what do you need, or what kind of venue is going to help help you realize that, or help you kind of uh, make it so so people can can come and watch you. You know, I know there's lots of house parties and you know house bands, and uh, my daughter and her boyfriend kind of live in a house now where there's a band, and you know, so I totally see all of that, but I also understand that. You you know, you can't just function in a vacuum. You need a community around. And I think the ministry, it's a pretty broad and diverse kind of community of people that can, that have interests across all kinds of artistic uh, disciplines. So I'd say, you know, in a way, it's like, well, what do people want to do? And how can this context and this kind of venue help support things that, again, might not, you might not otherwise find somewhere to do it, right? Uh, But something that's not, you know, that we, we are interested in things that are kind of uh, you know trying something out or I don't want to keep using the word experimental because it's not always what I mean But when you're taking some risks uh, Like when I mentioned the the musicians who would otherwise play other music were here kind of doing different things It's an opportunity to try stuff out to to see to expand your own artistic kind of uh, Influences or skills or you know something you want to try that you don't know how it's going to work We can handle that. Like, we can kind of say, well, listen, we we have a broad umbrella of what we can call uh, an event or a show. And so we're interested for people to really kind of take a chance. And to me, that's what we're able to support. So I would kind of put it out there. Like, what do people want to do? Like, What kind of interesting things do they see that they want to try that they need a place to kind of say, yeah, no, we understand. You know, of course, it's got to be safe. Nobody can get hurt or, you know, there's certain just things like that. But, yeah, otherwise... Yeah, we're not stuck in certain genres. Ultimately, the ministry
6: serves to build community around art and artists who might not have the opportunity to reach an audience in other venues, and they do it because they believe that art makes our lives better. And actually, that idea is where the name Ministry of Casual Living came from.
2: Oh, like how that happened? Um, It was just kind of a, I think a joke as we were living in the space and deciding what the space should be. um, I I thought we could make a mock government shell, because the names of departments were, or ministries were rapidly changing as they do every turnover of government. Um, And my friend um, on the foggy uh, window, he uh, just wrote Ministry of Casual Living as a joke. You know, we were making fun of the granola rockers and the hippies of Fernwood, but uh, (laughs) it stuck. People said it, and it stuck. Yeah, it was. It was. There was no going back after that. I was a little bit embarrassed at first, but then no, I've I've come to understand that, that uh, it has a lot of uh, meaning. Um, really, at the essence of what art and music is all about, a uh, quality of life.
1: the next venue we'll be looking at chose to remain anonymous. Yeah, I mean, my first name's pretty common, so we can go by Brian. It's cool.
5: I don't know which name I'm using anymore. You can call with one for this interview, Alone. Alone? Yeah, like it's... I can be Alone. (laughs) It's really, uh... It's kind of better that way sometimes. Uh... last person that was uh, trying to get information from me, I just told them on Midnight midnight Coffee. It worked, they believed me. They're like, that's your biological name? And I was like, yeah. And they, they were like, yeah, sure.
6: This unidentified venue is a house and
1: the residents there hold regular shows. We've had a number of different kinds of things here, anywhere between like experimental music and then like dance parties. So this venue isn't technically a public space. And unless you know Brian or Midnight
6: Coffee, you might not get a chance to go to one of their house shows. But we included it in the conversation about venues in Victoria because the house show scene is a big part of what fuels
1: Victoria's art and music community. The motivation is to have an interesting life. It's like, oh, what did you do this weekend? I had some people play a concert in my living room. And then that sounds like a pretty fulfilled life. As a venue, they don't charge cover or have any operating fees. But that's part of the charm of the space. I like uh, the philosophy I like to to approach is like DIY with like zero budget or spending as little money as possible. So, I mean, the, the sound system itself can be kind of janky because it's all cobbled together from a variety of uh, different gear. And so it's not professional. and I'm not a professional sound person at all. So, but if I don't charge money for people to come listen to it, then people get what they pay for and everyone has a good time.
5: It's like a sound system gathering.
1: A lot like the ministry, Brian and Midnight
6: Coffee offer their space to allow artists to play who wouldn't have a chance to book a larger venue. It's
1: like a lot of the, a lot of the performing artists that we might have here may not have the opportunity to play at very many other places. So they are pl- pleased to have the opportunity. To play and cut because it's sort of the people that are as adventurous as the artists want, as the audience wants to be as adventurous as the art, uh, artist so it's uh, 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 works out in the fact that people are getting the opportunity to perform and listen to things that are not necessarily available in a place like Victoria
6: Midnight Coffee thinks Having spaces like theirs are important, because without presenting your art, you don't get the opportunity to be supported by the community.
5: You know, you can't really uh, fully express things without having, you know, a bunch of other people collaborate on the idea as well. Because if you were to just do your own thing, you would be in your own space doing your own thing, you know.
6: But that's not the only reason they have shows in their living room doing it themselves meant that they could be the curators of their own shows and create space for something meaningful that you'd never see anywhere else.
5: I mean it took all of us to be like well we don't really understand what's kind of the the normality of what we should be doing in our community so let's just uh find a a creative way that we can express with other people and uh the thing with visual art is like it's great but i don't really tend to find myself doing a lot of visual art with people um as much as i am usually making some kind of music or creating some kind of sound uh expression you know so i feel like uh music in its own is a very communal thing right and it's uh it's actually like a a gift of the universe really you know it's like the fact that we can share an experience through uh audio That takes us somewhere totally different, you know, totally away from our everyday, you know.
6: Another aspect of house shows is that people might show up with their friends without really knowing who's performing and be exposed to something they never knew they were into.
5: I just feel like it has challenged people to kind of see a different way, for sure. I've seen some people come here being like, oh, like... Uh, a, a music thing is happening without really much understanding of what was gonna get, be going on, and then later on be like, whoa, there's this like whole other world I haven't explored yet. So you know, it challenges people to like think about um, what what do they listen to, you know, what do they find interesting, and why do they find that interesting, and what is it about the sound that happens maybe around here that's entirely different than what they've been listening to and if they like it.
1: And so people who had come here to initially to be a, uh, participate in the dance communities find themselves uh, maybe coming to an experimental show or vice versa, where someone who is just kind of kind of a punk rocker making noise music finds themselves hanging out where they're listening to drum and bass or dubstep or something like that. And you can see uh, cross-pollinization of these otherwise uh, different um, interests that don't, cross-pollinate so it's like right here is the threshold. Artists play to a smaller audience at house shows like the ones they have here.
6: Oftentimes what's important is just getting the chance to play.
1: Um, I, I really enjoy allowing artists to perform for the first time wherein they don't have to take the risk of booking a show at say a bar like uh, Logan's or Lucky or somewhere like that and putting their own reputation as artists on the line if they fail to have a substantial draw that does not meet the expectations of the business they can come here with no worry about that at all and play to a room full of curious people and they can get feedback and they can adjust what they're doing accordingly how shows at brian's and midnight coffees also offer a new perspective on what a performance can be um it's not like there's like a gate and like a barricade with some bouncers with their arms crossed between the audience and the the artist. There's no backstage area where the artist can go hang out away from. It's like uh, the it's like the border between the audience and the artist is that it's thinnest at a place like here.
5: It's like primal entertainment, really.
1: That's one thing I love about how shows all over is that mm. is that it is primal in the fact that there isn't like a border. Yeah, it's like. It's like, these people are just like us. They may as well be us. So sometimes it's like there isn't a difference between the audience and the performer that everyone is participating in what's happening.
5: Oh, those are great. Yeah.
6: But they both also recognize that spaces like this also have an expiration date.
1: Well, this isn't going to last forever. Ultimately, it's, I mean... Uh, at a formative age, I had read about what they call the temporary autonomous zone, which is like, you know, a place where everyone can be themselves, be it a sandbox or be it a rave or whatever, um, Burning Man, whatever. And But what was, what was important was that to remember that it is only temporary and is not something that can last permanently forever. So... So these these places that he had mentioned not being, you know, quote unquote, sustainable, it was like they were necessary at the time. And since they didn't weren't able to continue to be coagulated, they had to just dissipate. I, I would say that that eventually will happen here um, for whatever reason, will the people will move away. And if the people that choose to stay choose to continue to do it, then that's awesome. Um, but they can't be expected to. Right. So you just let it go and then maybe do it somewhere else. Um, The previous landlord had a big concern about us running like a speakeasy up here or like a club, which was a valid concern. And so it's like, no, we don't we don't do that at all. But while it lasts, Brian feels fortunate to maintain the space. Like the house has an autonomous spirit to it that that has asked me to. Maintained a custodial ship for sure. And it was actually when I was vacuuming that did, did I count my le- realized that I should count my lucky stars that it was me who had the responsibility of vacuuming the place. This is when I'm dumping the dust of the vacuum cleaner out and outside and not watching the dust fly away because like all things are dust and here I am moving dust from one place to another. So I felt blessed that I had this responsibility. That I inherited like a big empty space filled with possibility. It is the empty emptiness of the container, which is what makes it useful.
6: Regardless of the longevity, spaces like these are important to the community, and people getting to experience art and music makes it worth it to the people who live here.
5: When people share uh, uh, great experiences they've had, um, or even interesting experiences, um, uh, like positive, life-changing experiences about uh, coming to this place and experiencing some kind of art form and expression uh, and having it like have an impact you know Um, that's always kind of I felt always pretty stoked to be a part of that and I kinda just slowly became a part of it it wasn't like I'm gonna go uh, join like a crusade of people trying to create some kind of audio for other people to listen to it was more just like this the space just drew the sound and you know uh yeah so just hearing people having a good experience with that 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 is the satisfaction like that like couldn't ask for anything else more than that you know people are generally pretty thankful and i'm very thankful in return for their participation
3: a weird sound coming yeah, from there. I like yeah. they're doing construction. Yeah. <laughs>
6: if you've ever walked by lot 8 when they're putting on a noise show, you may have thought the same thing.
3: It's certainly not, you know, like guitar drums bass where you're like, at, you know, you know for sure there's a, you know, there's a band jamming there. Um, so it's not that kind of a, you know, when people are are hearing it, it's kind of maybe a little more amorphous as to what exactly is going on.
6: Lot 8 is
0: run by Ron Brogdon and Soma Morse. This is Soma. That's (laughs) Ron. This is uh, our house. (laughs)
3: Uh, And we're in the Lot 8 performance space.
6: They put on noise shows in a performance space in their house. Noise music, if you're not familiar, is a type of music that challenges what music can be. Sounds like this.
0: Have to be into it it's you're not uh, you're not gonna generally dance to it and you're it's either something that speaks to you uh, or it doesn't and that kind of makes it to, I don't know uh, uh, it's pure <laughs> or in some way um, and so that's just there, there's no going back <laughs> so once you discover that uh, you're, you're gonna stay with it
6: they started the space out of a desire to put on the shows that they wanted to see
3: I don't know how far back you want to take this, but... Uh, the womb. The womb. Yeah, it was noisy in there. Um, I I guess I would... For me, I would take it all the way back to kind of uh, my first interaction with punk rock and DIY shows and, you know, learning that I could make my own sort of unconventional, unpopular music. Um, and that... You could do your own shows, you could book them and you could also just be in charge of the sound and it didn't matter. Um, You didn't need to wait necessarily for someone to ask you to play. You could do your own show and also curate your own show or even, you know, make an effort to put on the kind of music that you wanted to hear.
6: It's not something that happens on a weekly or even monthly basis. Lot 8 shows are irregular and infrequent which is something intentional.
3: You're right. It isn't It isn't just a limitation in terms of the, um, you know, fitting it into the rest of our lives, but it's also, you know, you don't, it, it wouldn't be the same thing if it happened every weekend. It would, you know, it'd be kind of like, oh, another thing is happening. Um, and so maybe it's that sort of uh, the constraint of it and the limit, the limitation of it not happening all the time—that it's kind of like, it's a special, more of a special occasion.
6: For Ron, it's just easier to put on a good show in a smaller setting.
0: All of that side of it also comes with, you know, the stress—is this going to work out? Is it, uh, uh, well, this—will people actually show? Um, and there's way less of that when it's, you know, uh, uh, a small house show (laughs) and as soon as you push that to the side uh it's more fun like for me anyway it's a lot more fun and if it's fun for me it's going to turn into a better show because you know it's not like uh you have a uh you know somebody with a cloud over their head walking around the event all night it's like they're it's like you're a fan getting to see what you want to see
6: similar to what brian and midnight coffee were saying Putting on a small show creates a level of intimacy and blurs the line between audience and performer so people can really engage with the music.
3: But the simplicity of doing it here, you know, on a really small scale is something that we very much appreciate. You know, it's there's, there, there's definitely
0: an, like an intimacy that happens at a show like this that, uh... You'll talk to people that you know if you when people cram into a small space to see a band. The performer feels it for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, it's like you know, it's not like you're on a stage and there's a bunch of people sitting in chairs at the back, kind of like going like this. It's like you are right, <laughs> right in, in amongst it. You're you're in, in it, and uh, people leave that. You feel like you've been to something. You you, you don't feel like you sort of uh, uh, you know abstractedly sort of uh, notice something in the distance you feel like you know you're showering it off the next day <laughs>
6: <laughs> because ron and soma are musicians themselves they're able to help noise artists workshop their set so they can put on a good show um,
0: <laughs> it's also good though that uh, uh i feel that we've we've helped people before you know not have one of their sort of you know not necessarily always their first show but uh, uh to not have their shows be disasters (laughs) basically just because we've, we can, we know what's going wrong or can help them and get them through that.
3: Can troubleshoot.
0: But, uh, I I don't know. A a lot of that is sort of, uh, uh, selfish in the sense that we want to see a good show. And we also, uh, uh, we want people to want to play shows and we want to see new noise acts. It's always really satisfying. And we feel that the more people that have, uh, good experiences the more likely that we'll get to see more noise sets. <laughs>
6: Hosting the show in a small space like this means that it's regularly attended by their friends and people in the noise scene which helps protect the space.
0: When you're at the at one of these events it feels like I mean I don't know this sounds uh hopefully it's too overly pretentious sounding but it's it's more like you're going to a friend's house (laughs) in in a lot of ways it's not I I mean which it is most of the people that are coming over there's lots of people that have never been here before but lots of those people are are friends and you know have been at other noise shows or played shows and when it's not uh just you know some random house that's you know blasting music and you're just getting wasted and that that's all you're doing there when it's actually you know you feel a little more of a a hospitality uh so to speak um you're you're gonna go if i trash that like i'm trashing my friend's house and you know usually trash your friend's house um so there's some of that uh there's also Uh, the fact that we make a very conscious decision about uh, uh, timing of the events, we make sure they don't go uh, too late. We don't want to be where everybody's going to when the bar gets out. um, Just because that's a very different uh, frame of mind that most people are in. Um, And it's kind of those two things together. So you have an earlier show, uh, you have snacks (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you Treat people nicely, and they tend to usually treat you fairly nicely. They hope that offering these events
6: helps to build community, and that snacks will help create excuses for people to talk to each other.
3: Yeah, I, that's it's pretty much. I mean, I think that that's sort of the party, the party vibe with. Um, where people kind of can sidle up to a table and maybe they snack on something and maybe they get talking to the other person that's also snacking on something they that moment is a shared moment along with whatever happens you know in this particular room as far as the show um and it's meant to kind of be that shared experience that you mentioned um where you go experience something that Uh, you might not otherwise have had an opportunity to experience.
6: Our last stop is Subculture, an all-ages venue unlike a lot of other ones in Victoria.
4: There's not seating, there's not a bar, there's not the sports playing on the TV in the corner, There's, there's really, if you're here you're here to see the event because there is nothing else to do. And that's what we wanted. You know, We felt like the world is so full of distractions and that artists are constantly battling distractions. And we just want it to be a place where when you walk in, there's just one thing to look at and one one way to face, and that's at the stage and and to be focused. And so that's what we tried to create. Subculture is run by Steve Bailey and Rob Nesbitt. Uh, I'm Steve Bailey, and I can tell you my... My likes, my turn-ons, my turn-ons, <laughs> I, I, what else can I tell you about myself? I'm a, I'm a half of the half of the duo that's running Subculture Club.
10: Yeah, remember how when we started, my name is Rob Nesbitt and I'm the other half of the duo that's running sub- Subculture Club. And when we started, it was always kind of like we were trying to be inclusive and we're part of this thing and that's now right. it's just we build you build it and up to <laughs> be a whole organization.
4: <laughs> we're just a small cog in a giant wheel and now, now it's, it's like, just yeah, us. let's just be honest. Nobody shows up but us. There's one defining feature of this venue that the owners are very committed to. I mean, we have certain behavioral things we ask for. One of the main things about our club is that it's an all-ages space. And uh, and for us, being older gentlemen, uh, that truly meant all ages. I mean, we've had five-year-olds in here, we've had 75-year-olds in here, sometimes at the same show. And uh, that's really important to us, to be very age inclusive and uh, as well as you know inclusive in, in every other way we can but um it's something that we can provide that's not that readily available out there there's a lot of places you know mostly because of you know 19 plus and that sort of thing uh or or environments that also make older people feel unwelcome so we uh, th- that's uh, very important to us so we but because of that we try and uh really keep um alcohol out of the place like we don't We try to get people to refrain as much as possible from being intoxicated in the space, certainly from bringing alcohol and drugs into the space. So, you know, that's an area where I guess we, you know, we make restrictions. But other than those sorts of things that are really just designed to create a safe environment, um, other than that, artistically and in every other way, we want people to be completely open to what they want to do.
10: Yeah, our, our hands are on when it comes to events, but only there to facilitate whatever people want to the best of our ability. You know, we're just we will if they have a need we try to fill it and and sometimes they don't even know exactly what it is they need but we do our best to try and and make it happen uh, but it's it's all about facilitating their vision of what they want the night to be the main
6: drive is to offer an accessible space for bands to play and rob and steve do what they can to make the space as suitable as possible for everyone who books it
4: yeah it was a lot went into the design to try and anticipate all the sorts of things that. You know, we've experienced in different spaces that we've uh, you know either attended events in or or performed at and really tried to with the limited budget and the limited room that we had um, try to to answer all of those those needs that often get neglected um, when a place is primarily something else primarily a bar primarily an art gallery primarily a coffee shop you know they have to cater to those those needs firsthand to to survive and sometimes everything else seems a bit secondary, but here it was just a single purpose, and uh, so we we just really tried to build it for for that purpose. But Subculture Club is also making shows more
6: accessible to patrons, because not everyone hears about the small house shows every weekend.
10: I always like my tagline here is true all ages, like, you know, like it really is about everyone, and I have my friends contacting me like. I'm out of the loop. I don't know what's going on. What is this? What are you doing? Who's playing? What are these bands? Is there bands? Like it's just, so Sid, the music has gone further underground maybe than it has ever been, um, in the last decade. Basement shows rule this, the system of what's happening here. When I was growing up, when we were growing up, it was larger hall shows, the occasional bar shows, but like it's people's houses now. That's where the the scene is happening. And that makes it hard for people not in the know to, to be a part of that. If you're not directly related to this core group of friends or on someone's email list because you know them well, you're just not going to know that something's happening at the nasty house or wherever it's going to be. It's uh, you know, so this is at least making it a, a centralized place where people know stuff happens and uh, you can check on our Facebook page or whatever to see what's going on in our calendar. Um, there's no nasty house calendar. Like it's, you have to talk to someone, I'm not going to say who that someone is, but you have to talk to someone in order to get in there, you know, and these older people like us, we don't know, a lot of them don't know these kids and they would feel out of place saying, I'm going to show up. We've done it ourselves before we were kind of better friends with them. We would show up at these house shows and people just look at us like, we don't need your hate crimes here, narc. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm just into music. Sorry, but uh, you know, yeah. So it's it's difficult. It's it's intimidating for little kids to come to rock shows. It's intimidating for older people to stay involved in the music scene because you know that isn't the bar scene. You know, yeah. It's it's true. I think we're when you're old and
4: ugly, it's uh, you can't blame these kids for not wanting you in their space. You just really killing their vibe. But uh, no, you did. I, go, I was partially for me went going to trying to go to some bar shows and just really feeling unwelcome, you know, and I don't know why that is. I think you just don't look the part and people wonder what the hell you're doing there. So um, and, you know, that's just a matter of people not knowing you. Like once once I've gotten to know so many people this year and I, I just want more people to get to know each other. I just there's a community of people who are like minded, who love art, but who are so disconnected from each other and just trying to bring them into a space where they might have a better contact it just it just builds bridges and I mean I don't know if we're creating momentum like I say this scene I don't want to take some credit this Victoria's always had a great underground music scene they've always supported each other you know they'll do it wherever they have to houses basements under bridges in community halls yeah anything they have to do and it's it's fantastic and it was really in a way seeing that that scene existed that inspired me to say well let's try and have something a little bit more permanent a little bit higher quality like the other people we spoke with
6: Rob and Steve saw what was lacking, and sought to fill that void by creating a
10: space that represented their own needs. This place is—it's—we we never want to posit ourselves as this is this is what's happening. This is this is the only place. Like, we're just—we want to be a a way that it can, it can happen, a place that it can happen, and it, all this other stuff that goes on. It's it's great. It's exactly what should be happening. But we didn't see this anywhere else, and so we wanted to make it.
6: And because of subculture-specific style of running things, it doesn't appeal to everyone.
4: Some people stop coming, and I think that's appropriate. And um, because you know they're just, we appreciate that actually. When somebody says, "I don't think that's for me," and I don't think I can comply with that, so I'll make another choice to go to another space. We actually respect and appreciate that because you know they're they're participating by saying it's not for me, as opposed to coming and you know trying to. You know, deliberately behave in another way. That's you know that that's uh, not constructive. So, uh, so yeah, it it does it it is a different vibe. I mean, it's an extremely different vibe than if you go see a show at a bar. A very very different feeling. And a lot of people have expressed that to us. And what we're trying to do is um, is find the people, is slowly build a community of people who who love music and who would love to see it, but don't feel that they have a respectful safe. Um, space to go and do that. They, they A lot of people find bars uh, very intimidating.
6: What's important
10: for Rob and Steve is supporting the people who the space is created for. It's about supporting those people and, and especially young people. You know, we want them to come here and have some of their earliest experiences be one where they are catered to. And we're trying to make it seem like what they're doing is important and relevant and uh, we're going to treat their sound seriously we're going to get them the equipment they need and uh, because when they play at bars that's not going to happen generally you know it's very rare that you come across a bar where they're trying to cater to the person playing there that's they're trying to just get the night finished and sell the drinks you know fair enough again I don't like I'm not mad or anything about this stuff it's just just got nothing to do with me you know
6: and the space isn't exactly sanctioned, as far as the city is concerned, but it's important for Rob and Steve to run subculture in a non-commercial way.
4: Um, this space uh, exists. It it you know <laughs> in another world. <laughs> <laughs> can I say this? <laughs> um, without incriminating myself too deeply, uh, you know, we do not we did not have the necessary permits to build the space. We do not have a business license to run this space. It's not a business. I mean, we literally, this it, is this is not a business. But
10: this isn't about making money at all. Like, yeah, we, uh, this is volunteer-run nonprofit. All money goes to bands. So, yeah.
4: But um, uh, but we, we we operate off the radar. I mean, we operate in a neighborhood that nobody, is off the radar. Yeah, that nobody really cares or wants to know about. I think the city is well aware that there are certain arts spaces throughout town that op- operate. You know in the shadows and that they're not out there trying to shut them down they they're sort of complaint driven as far as i can tell um so you know i don't think we're so much playing cat and mouse as we just exist how we do and well aware that we could be closed anytime like in that from the first day we opened when we were building it we said we may never get one show we may never we may be closed after our first show we have to accept that that's part of doing this that um you can't be disappointed if that happens but you know again we try to be as safe and as conscientious of our neighbors as we can so that you know we give don't give people reason to complain but you couldn't do this fully legally um the economics of this place took a lot of uh creativity to find a way to pay rent here um and and built this a completely non-commercial way we, we basically pay the most of the rent here by release uh, renting out the space to bands during the week to rehearse
6: which is not to say that they haven't tried to make it legal but it's challenging for non-commercial spaces in Victoria to stay afloat largely because the regulations are so specific and expensive to adhere to
4: you know and so safety is important but not to the point where it strangles where it's prohibitive prohibitive where you, you you your your community and your life and everything is prohibitive and expensive because they're trying to protect you from perspiring or they're trying to protect you from <laughs> having to look at a light that's you know three watts too bright for your perfect vision it's it's ridiculous like i i think it's ridiculous so so what can you do you 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 just go, okay, well well, we just won't ask then. We just won't do it. I mean so, yeah, it's a it's a it's I'd love to do it. I'd love to have it be above board, above ground, but I just in this city and the way things are going cost wise, it just seems impossible
6: to me. Ultimately the guys behind subculture just want to create a space that they know they would have appreciated when they were underage and a space that they continue to appreciate.
10: If you happen to know someone who's young, like a high school age kid, who has aspirations to play music in a in a semi public or public way, um, and maybe live out a little bit of a dream of being a rock and roller, get in contact with us and let's try and make something happen because uh, that's what I'm interested in doing.
4: Yeah, and uh, if you're someone who isn't who thinks you would like live music but isn't coming to shows because you feel unwelcome, unsafe, unsure, you know, please give us a try. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we hope to make it that place that you can experience that, you know, in, in a way that you're comfortable with. Uh, and, you know, also just make art, um, make art that comes from you, be yourself, don't be worried about trying to hit certain standards or meet other people's ideas of what something should be. Just be yourself, make some art, um, find some weirdos to play in front of
10: profoundly expressive do not hold back like don't don't hem yourself in because you're afraid of how you're going to look like just do it and do it 100% and make a fool of yourself and scare people like just let's feel things deeply and stop being so frightened of everything like and come come to shows that you may think you're
4: not going to like, uh, branch out, you know, go, go and see a, a show of bands that make no sense to you and see how that feels. Um, you just, you know, we're just here to
10: experience everything we can while we're around. And, and there are some bands in this city that you probably have never seen that would blow your mind. Like they're world class versions of these groups, this these types of music, death metal or grindcore or whatever, these more extreme things like got stuff happening in your city that really is uh, world class and uh, this is a place you can come and see it maybe so try it out
7: looking looking back um We talked about the stories from these different spaces, and what they mean to the people who started them, and why they started them, um, what their purpose is, what they're trying to do. Um, And I guess my hope is that um, people like now kind of understanding more about them, um, that they get a new understanding or or a different understanding of the space um, that they may not have had before. and that helps people to to engage with the scene and to show up and you know pop in.
8: Yeah, yeah. I think it uh, really shows you, you know, this human drive. Like all of these things are human driven. It's just some people who wanted to make this and they did. Uh, and not only can you choose to go support these people in these spaces, but you can also consider doing it yourself. Like you have a scene that you want to serve. You can be that person. It's possible. It obviously takes work it takes effort it takes volunteers and it takes community but you have all of that you can get all of that and that's really important to see in your
7: own community the opportunity to create those spaces absolutely and then you know what after that you become world famous and then me and Nicola make a podcast about it and like then you've just you've, you've made it mm-hmm. after that you know like you're there okay. <laughs>
11: okay we good.
6: This has been an episode of All Access on CFUV 101.9 FM. Thank you to all our guests. Doug Jarvis, David Gifford, our anonymous contributors Brian and Midnight Coffee, Soma Morse, Ron Brogdon, Steve Bailey, and Rob Nesbitt. This episode was produced by Nicola Watts with help from Chris Radula, Mike Meyer, Baraka Loikila, and Troy Lemberg. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. This episode was made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the UVic Student Awards and Financial Aid. Don't forget to catch next week's episode of All Access and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Usable audio. Yeah. That's a dream.
11: Hey, give me your ear. Let's, uh... Let's pull back the curtain for a minute and check out behind the scenes of CFUV's podcasts. Hi, my name is Aria. I am a software engineer by day and a DJ here at CFUV. Uh, Otherwise, (laughs) Um, I helped out on uh, an episode of All Access as well as an episode of Taking Up Space. I didn't realize how much work went into making a super polished and clean podcast until I actually got to help out on one. Um, it's truly a uh, team effort, and the only the like the best marker of that is like not even realizing how much work it takes when you're listening to it because it sounds so good and so nice um, and professional. I would absolutely recommend volunteering at CFUV. Uh, they have a new round of podcasts coming up in the fall that they need help with and it's a really cool way to get involved and you don't need any experience to start out and you get to be a part of like a really cool group of people doing a really cool thing. <laughs>
8: If you like this episode, you'll love our upcoming episode of Play on Words about music therapy called Music Washes Away from the Soul, the Dust of Everyday Life.